Chapter 14 A Twofold Apologetic Procedure Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul could stake his apologetic for Christian faith on this set of rhetorical questions. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 Knowing that the word of the cross destroys the world's wisdom and brings its discernment to nothing. Verse 19 The unregenerate heart, with its darkened mind, evaluates the gospel as weakness and folly. Verses 18 and 23 But in actual fact, it expresses God's saving power and true wisdom. Verses 18, 21, and 24. What the world calls foolish is in reality wisdom. Conversely, what the world deems wise is actually foolish. The unbeliever has his standards all turned around, and thus he mocks the Christian faith or views it as intellectually dishonorable. But Paul knew that God could unmask the arrogance of unbelief and display its pitiable pretense of knowledge. The foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 25. Although the unbeliever sees the Christian faith as foolish and weak, that faith has the strength and intellectual resources to expose worldly wisdom for what it truly is, utter foolishness. God has chosen the so-called foolish things of the world in order that he might put to shame those who boast of their so-called wisdom. Verse 27. In the face of God's revelation, the unbeliever is without an apologetic. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. In the Greek. His intellectual position has no worthwhile credentials in the long run. When he comes up against the intellectual challenge of the gospel as Paul would present it, the unregenerate is left with no place to stand. The outcome of the encounter is summarily expressed by Paul when he declares, Where is the wise? Where is the disputer of this world? The fact is that God makes foolish the wisdom of this world, and thus the genuinely wise unbeliever is not to be found. The man who can adequately debate and defend the outlook of this world, i.e. unbelief, has never lived. Rejection of the Christian faith cannot be justified, and the intellectual position of the unbeliever cannot be genuinely defended in the world of thought. The spiritual weapons of the Christian apologist are mighty before God unto the casting down of every high imagination that is exalted against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 through 5. The unbeliever, as we saw in the last study, is a fool in the scriptural perspective, and as such, his position amounts to a hatred of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1 verses 22 and 29. His intellectual attack on the gospel stems from knowledge, which is falsely so-called. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. The apologist should aim to put this pretense of knowledge, which is, at base, a hatred of knowledge, to shame. He should manifest the foolishness of this world's wisdom. This calls for much more than a piecemeal attempt to adduce vague probabilities of isolated evidences for the reasonableness of Christianity. It requires, instead, a full-scale demonstration of the unreasonableness of anti-Christianity in contrast to the certainty of truth to be found in God's Word. Dr. Van Til writes, The struggle between Christian theism and its opponents covers the whole field of knowledge. Christian theism's fundamental contention is just this, that nothing whatsoever can be known unless God can be and is known. 
The important thing to note is this fundamental difference between theism and anti-theism on the question of epistemology. There is not a spot in heaven or on earth about which there is no dispute between the two opposing parties. A Survey of Christian Epistemology, Christian Foundation, 1967, page 116. The method of reasoning, by presupposition, may be said to be indirect rather than direct. The issue between believers and non-believers in Christian theism cannot be settled by a direct appeal to facts or laws, whose nature and significance is already agreed upon by both parties to this debate. The Christian apologist must place himself upon the position of his opponent, assuming the correctness of his method merely for argument's sake, in order to show him that on such a position the facts are not facts and the laws are not laws. He must also ask the non-Christian to place himself upon the Christian position for argument's sake, in order that he may be shown that only upon such a basis do facts and laws appear intelligible. Therefore, the claim must be made that Christianity alone is reasonable for men to hold. And it is utterly reasonable. It is wholly irrational to hold to any other position than that of Christianity. Christianity alone does not crucify reason itself. The best, the only, the absolutely certain proof of the truth of Christianity is that unless its truth be presupposed there is no proof of anything. Christianity is proved as being the very foundation of the idea of proof itself. The Defense of the Faith, Presbyterian and Reformed, 1955, pages 117, 118, and 396. The fool must be answered by showing him his foolishness and the necessity of Christianity as the precondition of intelligibility. In Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 through 5, we are instructed as to how we should answer the foolish unbeliever, how we should demonstrate that God makes foolish the so-called wisdom of this world. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. The twofold apologetic procedure mentioned by Van Til above is here described. In the first place, the unbeliever should not be answered in terms of his own misguided presuppositions. The apologist should defend his faith by working within his own presuppositions. If he surrenders to the assumptions of the unbeliever, the believer will never effectively set forth a reason for the hope that is in him. He will have lost the battle from the outset, constantly being trapped behind enemy lines. Hence, Christianity's intellectual strength and challenge will not be set forth. But then, in the second place, the apologist should answer the fool according to his self-proclaimed presuppositions, i.e., according to his folly. In so doing, he aims to show the unbeliever the outcome of those assumptions. Pursued to their consistent end, presuppositions of unbelief render men's reasoning vacuous and his experience unintelligible. In short, they lead to the destruction of knowledge, the dead end of epistemological futility, to utter foolishness. By placing himself on the unbeliever's position and pursuing it to its foolish undermining of facts and laws, the Christian apologist prevents the fool from being wise in his own conceit. He can conclude, Where then is the wise disputer of this world? There is none, for as the history of humanistic philosophy so clearly illustrates, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. It is confounded by the foolish preaching of the cross.